0: Hello and welcome to What the Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who, oddly enough, has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive into all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. In today's podcast, we are going to be talking about a way to induce or to augment labor, which is going to be called the artificial rupture of membranes, also called A ROM, also called an amniotomy. Also, a lot of people just refer to it as breaking my water. So let's talk about what the amniotic sac is. The amniotic sac is basically made out of two layers. It's an amnion and a chorion. And this is a sac that lines your uterus. It's where the baby develops throughout your pregnancy. And it's also where the placenta sits. What this sac basically does throughout pregnancy is it provides a barrier to any infection and it protects and cushions the fetus, especially as they have, it has that water inside to also protect and cushion the fetus. And when it comes to rupturing of the membrane or breaking of the water, there's a very common misconception that people think, oh, I'll know when I'm in labor because my water will break and it'll be like a huge gush of fluid, just like you see in the movies. And a lot of times that is not the case. Sometimes your water does not break at all. Sometimes it breaks a little bit to where it's like a light trickle and you don't even notice it at first. And I've actually had women who've delivered their babies, what we call in call, which is basically where the water never breaks, the bag's intact, and the baby's literally born in in the amniotic sac. It's the coolest thing. It's super rare and hard to do, but it definitely is possible. So AROM, artificial rupture of membranes, is where we are breaking your water for you. Your doctor or your midwife is breaking your water. It doesn't break spontaneously, we break it. So that is why we can use it as a method for induction or a method for augmentation to kind of speed up labor. And we can use this method if you've been stuck at a certain centimeter for a while, let's say you're maybe at three, four, even five or six centimeters and labor is just progressing really slowly or it stops progressing at all. This is kind of like another tool that we have in our toolbox to get your body to kind of more spontaneously go into labor or at least speed up labor. But the key to this is that baby needs to be low to be able to break the water. We can also use this method if you're not in labor at all, but you must be a few centimeters dilated and the baby also has to be low. And we can use this in that case for an induction of labor. In this case, the water breaking will hopefully trigger your body to produce the hormone oxytocin, which is the hormone that basically is the labor hormone. It's what causes contractions and it's what causes labor. So it can be used to induce labor in that sense, which I'm kind of, kind of kind of, going to get into a little bit later on. But let's talk about the pain of artificially rupturing your membranes. A lot of people are scared because sometimes it does get done before you get an epidural. So people's biggest fear is that it's going to hurt. And I will say normally it does not hurt any more than a routine vaginal exam does. It kind of feels like a routine vaginal exam. However, after your water or your membranes are ruptured, contractions normally do speed up. They normally do become a little bit closer together because that's the goal of us doing it. And they do feel a little bit stronger. I kind of describe it to my patients as, you know, before your water's broken, when that bag is intact, it's more like a water balloon that is pressing onto your cervix as you contract. It's a little bit softer. It doesn't hurt as bad. And then when that water's broken, there's a really hard baby head on your cervix. So I kind of compare it to like a water balloon and a rock. And that might be a little bit dramatic i guess you could say but it is true prior to the water being broken there's a bag of water pressing on the cervix and after it's a hard baby's head because that cushion is now gone so the actual procedure usually does not hurt however afterwards the pain of the contractions that you feel definitely can be a little bit stronger so how do we break your water the provider is going to insert their fingers into the vagina just like a routine vaginal exam And then with the other hand, they normally use a like crochet like stick. It's, it's a plastic stick. It's maybe, I don't know, a foot long. And at the very end, there's just like a tiny little hook. It's not necessarily sharp. It's not going to hurt the baby or anything like that. It just has like a little hook. Um, So they have their one hand in kind of doing like a cervical exam. They use the other hand to guide the stick in to kind of know where they're going. And then they just really make an opening in that membrane, which allows the water surrounding the baby to basically drain out. Sometimes it's a lot of water at once, and sometimes it's not, it's just like a little slow leak. And it is normal for the provider to kind of keep their hand in there as the water drains. And what they're basically doing is just allowing the water to drain and also kind of guiding baby's head down if they need to, which we're gonna talk about why that's also important coming up. So normally, like I said, not a painful procedure. It's just more so that it does speed up labor normally, hopefully, and that can definitely be a little bit more painful. So the benefits of artificially rupturing membranes. The two main benefits, like I talked about, are gonna be to speed up labor, whether that is through induction or augmentation. So induction means that you are not in labor, we're trying to get you into labor, so we're inducing labor. So this can be beneficial for induction because your body's going to release oxytocin, which will hopefully help labor start. Oxytocin is what causes contractions in labor. And usually breaking your water for induction, which means you are not in labor at all, we're trying to get you into labor. So the first thing we do is break your water. Usually that's only an option for people who already have a cervix that's dilated, and a cervix that is favorable, and a baby that is applied. So a lot of times we use a Bishop's score to assess this, and a Bishop's score basically gives us a number, and what it is assessing is how many centimeters you are, how effaced you are, which is how thin your cervix is, your fetal station, so where the baby is, whether baby's applied or whether baby is, you know, sky high in no man's land. It also tells us or measures the consistency of the cervix and the position of the cervix. And this is all to to decide if your cervix is favorable for induction. To basically put it simply, if your cervix is, you know, half a centimeter, it's thick, it's really posterior, baby is, you know, really high up in the belly, maybe like at a minus three position, your cervix is not thin, it's still thick, it's a hard consistency. That is going to give us a unfavorable Bishop score, which is going to say, Hey, you know, maybe we need to try some other things for induction prior to trying to break the water and you can't even break it at half a centimeter. So, you know, that would be almost irrelevant in that situation. But this normally is more of an option for people who are multiples and multiples basically mean just means it's not your first baby. Because a lot of times on first babies, your cervix is not going to be favorable because it's never dilated before. It's never thinned out before. Whereas, you know, if this is somebody's sometimes second, but mainly like third and fourth baby, your cervix, a lot of times throughout your pregnancy is already a little bit more dilated, a little bit more thinned out and a little bit softer. So this is more of an option for induction for people who are multiples, meaning not their first baby. The other way that we use the artificial rupture of membranes is for augmentation. So augmentation differs from induction because in induction, you are not in labor. In augmentation, you are already in labor, but we're trying to augment it. So we're trying to speed up labor. And when we break your water to speed up labor, let's say you're already having contractions, you're already, you know, three to four centimeters. You might already have your epidural. You might be on Pitocin. Your contractions can dilate the cervix a lot more when it's the force of the baby's head making contact with the cervix, like I said, the rock analogy, versus when it is the amniotic sac making contact with the cervix with your contractions, which would be like the water bloom. And another benefit of artificially rupturing the membranes is that it also does allow us to do internal fetal monitoring, which is going to be using a fetal scalp electrode, which is Goes on the baby's head, helps us very accurately and easily measure baby's heart rate. Or it allows us to also use an internal monitor called an IUPC, which allows us to measure the strength of your contractions to make sure that they're adequate for cervical change. And I'm not going to dive into all this right now, but if you go back and listen to episode nine of the podcast, it's called Electronic Fetal Monitoring During Labor. I talk about way more in depth what Internal fetal monitoring actually is why it's indicated why we use it and risks of internal fetal monitoring. So go back and listen to episode nine if you want to know more about that. And another benefit of artificially rupturing the membranes is that it allows us to see if the baby has meconium. And I kind of debated on putting this on a benefit because there's nothing we can do about it. So the best way to describe it basically, and this is could probably be a whole other podcast, but the baby's can have meconium in the water, which just means that they had their first poop basically in utero. And breaking your water, I don't want to say this is a benefit from breaking your water because it doesn't change whether the baby has meconium. So if the baby has meconium and we break your water or we don't, it doesn't matter. Like baby's going to have meconium or not, no matter what we do if they have it already, but it allows us to see if the baby has meconium and that can be beneficial just because we can be a little bit more prepared at the delivery. We do like to have a little bit more people in there and some more equipment in there. Meconium is common, but sometimes, you know, babies can inhale or aspirate on the meconium and they do sometimes need some extra help or suctioning at birth. So us breaking your water allows us to see if there's meconium, which allows us to prepare a little bit at birth for the meconium some risks of artificial rupture of membranes is that this is the biggest risk. And it's also why I talked about the Bishop score, which, you know, measures how favorable the cervix is, including where the baby is at the station of the baby. So a big risk of rupturing your membranes is that if baby is not engaged, which means the head is not at zero station, zero stations in aligned with the pelvis. If the head is not at zero station, let's say the head is minus one, minus two, minus three, which just means that it's, higher up, there's a risk for a cord prolapse. And I'm going to do a podcast on all the terms that we use surrounding a cervical check, when it comes to like station effacement, dilation, position, um, consistency, everything. I'm going to do a whole podcast on that because it's a lot. But going back to cord prolapse, a cord prolapse is where if baby is super high, head's not engaged, or on the cervix really, and we break your water, there's a risk of a cord prolapse, which is where the umbilical cord basically slides past the baby's head and into the vaginal canal. And that happens like as you break the water and the water kind of gushes out and baby's really high, there's some space and that cord slides out with the gush of water into the vagina. And then, you know, after the water gushes out, babies normally drop and their head kind of engages more. So if you think about that, the cord is past the baby's head, the cord is in the vagina and baby's water just came out. So now baby's low and its head's engaged. So what's going to happen? The baby's head is now pressing against the cord and the cord is through the cervix and the vagina and the cord is the baby's lifeline. lifeline. So cord compression means no blood flow, means bad things for the baby. So anytime we have a cord prolapse, when the cord falls to the vagina, it is an emergent cesarean section. We don't, we, I mean, we literally pull the bed out of the wall and we go. This is rare, extremely rare. I personally have never had this happen with breaking my patient's water. We break water all the time. I've never had this personally happen to one of my patients, but I know a lot of nurses and I've been at work many times where we do have a cord prolapse and we go back for a stat C-section in the OR. So that is definitely probably one of the biggest risks that you worry about with rupturing of membranes. And a lot of providers, if they feel like baby is not engaged well, or the head is too high, they will not break your water. So no, a provider is not just going to come in and be like, oh, you're three centimeters, you know, without even thinking about where the baby's at and break your water. They're going to feel. And if they think, you know, baby's too high, they'll sit you up high for maybe an hour or two. And come back and check and see if we can get baby a little bit lower to make sure that that cord does not have a chance to slip through. So that is why this is rare. A, you know, sometimes it's, we can't prevent it. Even if baby is low, it it's, can just sometimes happen. But a good provider definitely will will know when it's appropriate to pick your water and when it is not. Another risk of rupturing your membranes is just a failure for labor to start or progress. And I don't want to say rupturing your membrane necessarily puts you on a time clock, but in a way it does. Because when your water is broken, like I said, that, that sac is protection from infection. And when your water is broken, it can kind of put you on a time clock because the longer you're ruptured, the increased risk for infection, which is called cori amniotis. So that is an infection, basically of the amniotic sac and the fluid surrounding the baby. The longer you're ruptured the and labor is you know, stalled out, the less willing providers are to try other routes and rightfully so because you can get an infection in that area if you're ruptured for a long time. So a lot of times, you know, if you're being induced for let's say high blood pressure or blood sugars or any reason, you sometimes inductions can take days. And if your water's intact, we can kind of go, you know, take a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, and we can really take our time inducing you. Whereas if your water's broke early or you stall out, it does kind of put us on a clock where we don't want you to be in labor for a crazy amount of time because every time we check your cervix and every hour that passes with that water broken, it is an increased risk for infection of the amniotic sac. That basically includes all the benefits and risks of rupturing your membranes. Now, of course, I love evidence and it definitely was a little bit difficult to find evidence surrounding rupture of membranes. Um, but I did find a couple and a lot of them honestly are very unclear. They, a lot of, um, sites and studies basically say there's no difference in you know time from delivery where water is broken and where water is you know spontaneously broken by labor itself but I did find a couple studies and of course I will link these like always but there was 14 studies in one review that involved a little bit under 5,000 women, and in this, in these studies, they found that there was no difference in the length of the first stage of labor. There was no difference in maternal satisfaction of childbirth experience, and there was no difference in Apgar scores of the baby at birth when the water water was artificially broken and when it was not. It was associated with an increased risk of cesarean delivery compared to the women who did not have their water broken or who spontaneously broke their own water during labor. But there was no really consistency of the timing of breaking the water, basically meaning like if they were three centimeters, four centimeters or eight centimeters, there was really no consistency regarding the timing of breaking the water in terms of cervical dilation. There are many studies, like I said, that cite no difference in the length of labor when routine artificial rupture of membranes is performed. However, in my clinical experience, I do feel like breaking the water speeds up labor and I was honestly kind of shocked to find so many studies stating basically that there was not a hard correlation between shortened labor and breaking the water because I do really feel like it speeds up labor, especially in women who are maltips, which like I said, means that it's just not their first vaginal delivery. I do feel like um, rupturing membranes can really speed up labor. There was another study that correlated early rupture of membranes with a shortened time for vaginal delivery by point. 4.5 hours for nulliparous women, which means it was their first baby, and labor was shortened by about 1.3 hours for multi-parous women, which means that it was not their first baby. It was maybe their second, third, fourth, fifth. So there, this study did show that in first-time babies, four and a half hours shorter of labor, and 1.3 hours shorter when it is not your first baby, when early artificial rupture of membrane occurred. And they classified early artificial rupture of membrane by being less than four centimeters. But, and this is the caveat, yeah, you might get a shorter labor time, but it was associated with about 1.3 times higher of an odd for a cesarean section. So you do get that shorter labor. There's a small slight increased risk for a cesarean section. There was another study that showed early artificial rupture of membranes, which again would be less than four centimeters, that appeared to decrease the duration of labor induction but increase the odds of cesarean, which is basically what that last study also said. And lastly, there was a study which included about 26,670 women delivered in a national maternity hospital during the study period, and about a little bit under 5,000 of these women required induction for labor. And about 73% of them actually had their water artificially broken. And let me remind you, induction of labor. So 72% of them had their water broken for induction of labor, which means that they were not already in labor. They must have had a favorable cervix and applied baby's head. So they broke their water. And within 24 hours, 90% of these women who had their water broken for induction went into spontaneous labor on their own. And overall, about 80% of them had a vaginal delivery. Only about 7.9% had a cesarean section. So in total, 90.5% of maltips and 63.4% of primips had a spontaneous vaginal delivery. So it does look like the rate of primips who had either a forcep delivery or a cesarean section was a little bit higher. Remind you, primips means first baby, primary baby that's a good way to remember it multips multiple primips primary and that is basically all the information i have to talk about for artificial rupture of membranes again it's just something that is can be really situational and if you have a good provider, they're going to make sure, you know, you're a couple of centimeters dilated and baby's head is well engaged. That's the most important thing. And what really matters is how much intervention you want. The biggest fear for a lot of people is that they don't want their water broken because they don't want to fall down that medical cascade of intervention, which definitely can happen. Like I said, you break your water. Sometimes you're kind of put on a time clock where they want you delivered or certain providers want you delivered within a certain amount of time because they don't want you to get choreo or an infection. So it really just depends on how much intervention you want and also just knowing your provider. You know, you have to ask them, what are the risks of this? What are the benefits of this? Is there going to be a timeline you now want me delivered in? Because if you want to have a, a intervention-free or as much intervention-free delivery as you can, then maybe you don't want your water broken. Maybe you just rather kind of keep on laboring and let your body do its own thing because sometimes you know, it can cause a medical cascade of interventions. If you rupture your water, you don't progress too much. They might want to start you on Pitocin. They might also encourage you to get an epidural then because it might take a while. So it's so situational. And I wish I had a black and white answer for if you should let them break your water or not. But it really just depends. And it depends on what number of baby it is and really just what you envision your birth to be like. And, you know, I would say to have birth preferences, not necessarily a birth plan that's set in stone, but to have birth preferences and just to let your nurse and your doctor know what you want during labor and what you don't want. Maybe you're okay with your water breaking, you know, if you're near the end, like eight or nine centimeters, and they think that that's the last thing that will just get the baby here because you've already made it that far. And hopefully it'll make delivery really quick. Um, you really just have to analyze your situation and educate yourself on what, Are the risks of breaking my water? What are the benefits of breaking my water? And is this something I want right now? And that's always the goal of this podcast is to just educate you on what these terms are, what these procedures are during labor and delivery. That way you can make your own educated and informed decision and not let somebody else, you know, dictate and run your entire birth for you. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure you follow us over on Instagram at Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and make sure you tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. There's a new episode. I really appreciate you for listening. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and I hope you have a great day.